Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, JM. No longer, we don't say JM in the M anymore. It's just NachumSiegel.com, everyone. And welcome to another Thursday night of political talk. And this is going to be a special edition, pre-election edition of Spin Class. Uh, we've been out for a couple of weeks because I've been uh, on assignment, various assignments having to do with campaigns and elections and the like. But, uh, before Election Day and certainly after Election Day, we want to unwrap, unzip, peel back all the different things about the political season. And it's been such an interesting political season as we approach Tuesday. First, I'm going to say it many times. Don't forget to vote on Tuesday. And if you live in Colorado, you might have voted already. Other states that have early voting. But not here in New York and New Jersey. We have to go ahead and vote on Election Day unless you voted absentee already. But, of course, your vote actually doesn't get counted until Election Day. But – I think when I was thinking about how to do this show, and hopefully we're going to open up the lines in a little bit for people to come call in with their questions, comments, and you know we have some of our usual analysts going to be coming on to spice up things with some of their vignettes with regard to the elections. When I talked about 2014, of course, it's a midterm. It certainly behooves us to think ahead already in 2014 to 2016, and of course, presidential year. And why not start – with a, a couple clips from our presidential frontrunners who both in this past week have given some great, great, fantastic sound bites to the public. And uh, starting with yesterday on the anniversary of Sandy, of Superstorm Sandy, uh, our own local governor, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, had this to say to a local heckler, uh, Chris Christie in character. Aramiya, cue the Christie clip, please. I'll be more than happy to have a debate with you anytime you like, guy, because somebody like you who doesn't know a damn thing about what you're talking about except to stand up and show off when the cameras are here. I've been here when the cameras aren't here, buddy, and done the work. I've been here when the cameras weren't here and did the work. And wait, there's actually more to this. So listen, you want to have the conversation later? I'm happy to have it, buddy. But until that time, sit down and shut up. Okay, is that fantastic or what? I, I, I'm i actually speechless, truthfully, that the governor of a state here, presidential contender, presidential timber, actually one of the front runners for the Republican nomination in 2016, you know, speaks his mind. He's not scripted. I mean, this guy is unscripted. He doesn't really seem to care that other people about the niceties of other people about the being politically correct. He says what he feels. If this guy is heckling him, he says, sit down and shut up. He says some other words, and but he doesn't veer into anything that's totally inappropriate. So how refreshing is that? You know, he, he, he's just unwilling to put up with a lot of heckling. However, you know, two years in the presidential campaign trail, which I think is what he faces, that could be a little bit, um, well, that could be a lot for, for Chris Christie, but let's, uh, Let's now take the flip side, the Democratic frontrunner. She had a very – quite a zinger of a gaffe this week, and it's really – well, it's quite incredible. I have to say that uh, in this day and age, somebody in the age of YouTube, in the age of trackers, in the age of video where everything is, a, is recorded in Massachusetts campaigning for the governor – of or the governorship, I guess, of Massachusetts campaigning for the Democratic uh, nominee, Martha Coakley, uh, Hillary Clinton had this singer. And don't let anybody, don't let anybody tell you that, uh, you know, it's corporations and businesses that create jobs. You know, that old theory, trickle down economics. Okay. What, what exactly does that mean? Don't let anybody tell you that corporations create jobs. Who creates jobs exactly? Jobs, in theory, are mean that people are working for a corporation. That's what a job is. They're working for somebody. So I, I'm sure she didn't mean to say that, but I'm not actually sure what she did mean to say. She's kind of walked it back. She's kind of, but folks, the presidential season is in full swing. We haven't even decided who is going to control the Senate, who's going to control the House for the next two years. But the presidential season is upon us. 
And, uh, you know, Avrami, of course, correctly just told me, well, she's talking about government jobs. And uh, there is a word for everybody working for the government out there. It's called communism. And uh, we're not really practicing communism here in this country. So let's just get it right into it. We got a ton of we got a ton of stuff to talk about. We got a ton of elections to talk about. And really, we're. We're going to start, I think, you know, here in New York, we're going to start with some of the really exciting uh, races uh, that are going on. Some of the closest house races are right here in New York, and which is uh, actually pretty interesting, considering uh, that the head of the DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, is our own Steve Israel here on Long Island. Uh, Steve Israel, long, you know, congressman. And from the second district, and Steve Israel is heading the Democratic effort to take back the House from the Republicans. Not going so well right now for Steve Israel. Um, and, you know, one of the things I think that he was probably counting on as a New Yorker was that New York was going to offer him a was going to offer him a leg up that that the Democrats in New York being such a blue state were actually going ahead and going to pick up some seats well, that probably was the case, certainly if you're looking at conventional wisdom about a month ago and you were thinking about that, uh, that the Democrats were going to go ahead and pick up some seats. But some of these seats have become incredibly close or if they're not incredibly close, they're kind of out of reach right now for the Democrats. And, you know, we start in the first district, which is interesting. Um, and Tim Bishop has been in office, I think, 12 years uh, he is facing Lee Zeldin actually for the second time. Lee Zeldin ran back again in 2006, then became a state senator and now is running again. And interestingly enough, Newsday, which never endorses Republicans, at least, you know, generally when we say never, we don't actually mean never, never, never. We actually mean that they generally don't endorse Republicans. Newsday went ahead and they endorsed Lee Zeldin over Tim Bishop, which is, which is surprising. Um, and surprising just from the fact that a lot of people felt that though Lee Zeldin would come close, probably he wouldn't get over the finish line. Now, now potentially, that seat is really in play. That seat actually is in the toss-up column. Uh, second district, Steve Israel's district, safe Democratic seat. Third district, Peter King. That is a safe, safe uh, Republican seat. And then the fourth district, we get to something, uh, a race between Bruce Blakeman and Kathleen Rice. And we're going to discuss that a little bit more, uh, in the later on in the show because Kathleen Rice has been engaged in so, um, I guess some verbal fisticuffs with a local reporter here in the five towns. Uh, so hopefully he's going to be calling in a little bit later. And, uh, that, that race, has been, let's say, about a 10-point margin right now, according to the public polling. But that 10-point margin is uh, considered, I think, by a lot, by some prognosticators to be relatively soft. Uh, now, if you take some of the upstate races, some that were thought to be competitive, there's an open seat in the North Country race, which is for uh, Bill Owens. Uh, he's retiring. You have a 29-year-old, Elise Stefanik, who handily won a competitive primary on the Republican side. And she is walking away with this race, so much so that the Democrats are no longer spending money in this race. Why, we might ask. Well, it's it's not a district that somebody who lives in Brooklyn really should run in. It's it's a little far from Brooklyn. And the Democrat has nominated somebody by the name of Aaron Wolf to go ahead and compete in this district in the far north reaches of New York. Now, Aaron Wolf uh, really has a business, has a home in Brooklyn. And I think that people were kind of thinking that, uh, well, you know, he could be, uh, you know, uh, he's health food store guy and maybe he has a, a, a good, uh, you know, a good fit for that district. But that really has been a walk away for the Republicans. Another district that, uh, that is, was thought to be competitive just because of a money advantage, but perhaps, uh, is New York 19, the incumbent Chris Gibson, a former army colonel, uh, 
uh, and has uh, held that district for, for a couple terms. He is being challenged by Sean Eldridge. Sean Eldridge is the significant or the spouse, I guess, in New York, you can say that, uh, it, the spouse of Chris Hughes, who is the owner of the New Republic, as well as a Facebook co-founder. Now, they went shopping for a district together. They decided initially Sean was going to go ahead and live in the 18th district, a little further down the Hudson Valley. Now, he has chosen to go a little further up and challenge Chris Gibson, thrown a lot of money into that race. And uh, for all that, he is behind by about 20 points. So that right now is not looking too good for the Democrats uh, here in New York. Now, one of the most competitive races in the country right now is the 18th district, which, uh, according to some polls, is essentially tied. And that pits a rematch of well, two years ago. Uh, Nan Hayworth uh, is challenging Sean Patrick Maloney. Sean Patrick Maloney worked in the Clinton administration, worked for Elliot Spitzer, and is now uh, in member of Congress in his first term. And that is a super close district. And one of the things that's going on right now in that district is the incredible unpopularity uh, of President Obama, which seems to be weighing down a lot of New York uh, and New York candidates uh, north of the Tappan Zee Bridge. And uh, that is, at this point, looking like uh, Nan Hayworth has closed the gap that she had about, I'd say, two, three weeks ago, which was a double-digit gap, and now that race is essentially tied. That race could come down once again, as it has in the primary, and I think we talked about it, uh, to the village of Curious Joel. Curious Joel has about 8,000 votes, actually north of 8,000 votes, and they could swing that election uh, one way or the other. Now, let's, that brings us a little bit to New York City. And there's another race in the Syracuse area that's thought to be close, although I think there's an incumbent Democratic advantage for Dan Maffei. And then there's a, another one for Tom Reed. That congressional race was also looked to be close at one point. The Democrats were trying to spend a lot of money to unseat him because he had, uh, he had also been thought uh, to be vulnerable. He had only eked out a small victory last time around. But remember, midterm elections are all about turnout. They're not be, uh, they're not necessarily going to be, uh, about the way that the casual voter doesn't always come out in the midterm election. The more the motivated voter comes out. And a lot of the motivated voters are people who are angry about things. They're angry about the economy. They're angry about the Obama administration, which they think is doing a poor job. They're angry about the Affordable Care Act. They might be angry about guns. That's particularly a big issue in upstate New York where, uh, the we have the SAFE Act, which is uh, else in a lot of places is there's an anti-Cuomo fervor. And they're angry about different things in the Hudson Valley growth. Uh, the growth of the Hasidic community is a big issue in the Hudson Valley. But that all comes to play in that district. And now we come to New York City, thought to be safe Democratic. Not only that, we were expecting that the Democrats were going to go ahead and have a pickup. They were going to take out the only Republican congressman in the uh, U.S. House of Representatives uh, in New York City, and that is a gentleman by the name of Mike Grimm. Now, why would Mike Grimm be vulnerable? Well, he is under federal indictment for 20 different counts, and uh, Mike Grimm has the advantage, number one, of being from Staten Island, and it's a Staten Island district. His opponent is from Brooklyn, but there's another advantage that he seems to be having. His opponent, uh, Dominic Recchia, a man who I know, uh, was finance chairman of the New York City Council for quite a few years, um, seems to be gaff prone. And uh, we're going to cue that clip right now as far as uh, Dominic Recchia is going to uh, – has on that – oh, we, we don't have that clip yet. We're not going to – we don't have that clip yet. So, uh, Avrami, can we cue that clip, please? When I was on the local school board, I ran a, a student exchange program with Japan for the students of his district that he represents, all right, with Japan. I've been to Israel. I've been to Italy. I've been to many, many countries across this uh, world. Okay, so that is Dominic Recchia at a press conference with Chuck Schumer explaining his foreign policy experience. And uh, if you didn't hear it correctly, I will repeat it because I couldn't believe it myself. Dominic Recchia basically said he has a lot of foreign, po foreign policy experience because he's been 
traveling around the world. Uh, so much so that this was picked up by John, none other than John Stewart on the Daily, Daily Show. And it was, uh, I have to say, quite incredible. So, uh, we are, <laughs> I mean, I have to see if you're going to recruit candidates like that, uh, Steve Israel, uh, you are not going to be long for that D triple C job. And Avrami, uh, let's cue that second clip, uh, so we can get the full Dominic Recchia in. And that would tell you folks out there why this race is a tie, if not going to Michael Grimm, despite his legal troubles. When we asked Recchia to comment about Grimm's record on trade, he offered this. He has not done a lot for labor, okay? He has a 44 percentage record on labor. My record is much better than that. A 44 percentage record from where? What do you mean? And, and when you're raiding in, in labor, you have a 44 percentage record on labor. Yes, uh, that is Dominic Recchia with statistics. So first we had geography, then we had statistics. And look, I'm not going to, you know, Dominic is a nice guy and I have to, I will say, uh, but maybe perhaps a tad unprepared for the limelight. And, uh, first, uh, before we open the phones out there, I want to actually welcome onto the, onto the line. Uh, we have a candidate for New York State Senate. We've been talking about federal races, but we're going to go and talk about all kinds of races here, local races. But the New York State Senate is up for grabs in this. And we have an unusual situation in our New York State Senate. We kind of have three parties, if you will, kind of Republicans, Democrats, as well as an independent Democratic conference, which is right in the middle. And, uh, in, on Long Island, there are nine Republican state senators. Uh, Adam Haber on the line, a, a, a wonderful guy, is challenging one of those nine Republicans as a Democrat. Adam Haber, welcome to Spin Class. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate you having me. And I also have international experience because I went to Canada recently, just so you know. Oh, that's – yeah, I was just going to ask. That was the first thing I was going to ask. Where have you traveled <laughs> lately as far as your international experience? But, Adam – just tell you, you've kind of been on the campaign trail consistently for, for a couple of years. You ran for county executive last year, and now you're running for state senate. Just yeah. uh, give, us a, give us an idea about why you're running again and why you are uh, running for state senate, and how's the campaign trail been? Well, I'm running for state senate because uh, I'm a rare combination of somebody who's socially conscious but also very fiscally conservative. And I watched Nassau County really just makes decision after decision that was fiscally unsound, the latest one of these speed zone cameras, which are making people crazy, as opposed to finding businesses to expand the economy or efficiencies in government. They're raising revenue by just taxing the residents. And stuff like that is stuff I'm against. Um, I ran as a strong independent against Tom Swazi in, in a primary with no support from the infrastructure. Came very close to beating him. And the state Senate uh, reached out to me. The Democrats reached out to me, and I told them, look, I'm not going to vote with you on every issue fiscally. Uh, socially, I believe in equality and, and, uh, and uh, higher minimum wage, but um, I'm a businessman. I'm a conservative fiscally, and they said, no problem, no problem. We need a Democrat on Long Island and things like that, and I'd be one of the only businessmen in all the state of New York. So fiscally conservative, as you said, is not the typical uh you know, state Senate Democrats are not known for being fiscally conservative. In fact, it, it is said, I guess the knock on Democrats controlling or potentially controlling the state Senate has been the New York City centric and tax raising tendencies of the Democratic conference. Are you going to be able to bring, I guess, some fiscal sanity to that conference? Well, there's a big 10 in the Democratic Party. You get the far left with the mayor. And I have to think I'm on the far right as far as my, my fiscal policy goes. And uh, things I'll never vote for, like an NTA tax, that's just not going to happen. My predecessor voted for that. Uh, that's one of the reasons why he lost uh, to the current guy who's in office. But I'm one of the only guys who knows how to read a balance sheet. I'm in the restaurant business, the real estate business, I finance technology startups. Um, I helped turn around a school board in Roslyn, if you remember, who stole, had a superintendent who stole $11.2 million. And since I've been on the board, we haven't lost a teacher and we've basically been the lowest tax levy increase of any district in Nassau County over the last six years without firing a teacher and, and expanding services. And this is the stuff I want to bring across private and parochial schools, have us work together to find efficiencies. So we're talking to Adam Haber, and he is running for state senate in the – not the ninth, the seventh. Seventh, yep. Seventh state senate district. Your, your opponent is Jack Martins. Uh, Jack Martins has been in office uh, for, I think, three terms. No, he's, he's finishing his second term. 
his second term, correct? Right. And he was the former mayor of Mineola. He actually ran for Congress a couple of years ago. Uh, but uh, he has attracted a pretty um, – you know, pretty diverse coalition, I guess. In his, in your district, you got a Republican has to attract Democrats in order to win. And uh, right now, it would seem that uh, Jack Martins has kind of done that effectively, at least according to the polling. And of course, the, the only poll that matters is the one on Tuesday, correct? Uh, correct. And internally, we know it's a dead heat right now. We know how close it is. The Santa polls are historically extremely conservative. The last poll they had a few weeks ago cut the cut his lead in half. Uh, we know that this is probably one of the uh, closest watch races in the state state senate this year certainly um, and it's because of my background look we have twenty thousand more democrats in the seventh district uh it's a large jewish population there isn't a single uh jewish senator on long island right now and it'd be nice to be represented by your peers on the north shore um gray neck and uh a lot of roslyn um has a strong jewish population but it's up to me to get out there and win this race, uh, and I've done that every night. I just finished knocking doors, as I do almost every night, making calls, meeting people. Uh, it's an enjoyable process, a grueling process, but I have ideas that I think are unmatched in government that a lot of them are common sense because uh, I, I think I could bring um, a lot of change to our community. So, Adam, one of the big uh, issues, I guess a kind of an external issue to the campaign is it has been the role of the governor, right? Governor Cuomo has been accused by other Democrats of not supporting state Senate candidates uh, or a Democratic state Senate, not trying to flip the state Senate over to the to the Democrats. And this in this election cycle, he promised to do so. Uh, have you seen that? Has he been supportive? His staff has worked with me. Uh, you know, it's a big, it's a big universe. There's 63 Senate races, uh, in the state of New York. Um, he has lent some resources to the race on Long Island. Um, he's focused more on some candidates upstate. You, you know, I, I, I don't think, um, I, I need his help as much as the next guy only because we are very similar in our ideology. Um, I've had the support of all the infrastructure as far as the local elected officials who are Democrats. But I cross over to both sides of the aisle. I mean, my idea is I don't want to do Democrat versus Republican. I want to do common sense. I mean, taxes are the number one, two, and three issues in our, com- our community. I've proven I could do that in a small scale uh, in our school district, and I've done it in the business world. And I think with a $138 billion budget that we have here in New York State, you need somebody who knows how to read a balance sheet. I mean, attorneys are a good thing. Uh, they make laws, but uh, you wouldn't go to attorney for financial advice, but that's what we have in government. That's why there's so much waste and inefficiency. And I think I identify with Cuomo and his common sense uh, approach to the tax cap, but also try to stimulate business. So uh, last question for you, Adam, because I know we're going to run through this really quickly uh, as far as the races I want to cover during the course of this hour. An hour is very short to cover a whole election, uh, particularly nationally, uh, is – uh, what do you, what are your plans? Okay. If you get elected, uh, or, you know, I could say from your perspective, when you get elected, uh, what, uh, what would be your plan? Are you going to caucus with the regular Democrats or are you going to caucus yeah. with the independent Democratic conference? Because from uh, what you're saying, you sound more like an independent Democrat. I get that very often. I am an independent, meaning I think only for my community and Long Island gets so little of the pot of uh, money that goes to Albany. We send over $3 billion a year more to Albany than we get back. We get 17% of the students here, but only 12% of the funding. That's why our taxes are so high. But I will go with the, the mainstream Democrats, but I'll be the uh, right wing of that group um, and try and bring some fiscal sanity to government. Uh, and that's what I'm excited about. I, I want to partake in efficiency across the board. The waste I see door-to-door, uh, agency-to-agency is breathtaking. I'm sure we can find some savings in a $130 billion budget. No, I have no doubt about that. Adam Haber, Democratic candidate for state Senate in the 7th uh, Senatorial District on Long Island, the North Shore, including a, a lot of our listeners up in Great Neck and Roslyn and elsewhere in those environs. Thanks for joining us here on Spin Class, Adam, and good luck. Thanks, Thanks for having me, Michael. Good luck. Okay, and this is Spin Class, and we are talking politics, covering as many elections as possible as we can possibly cover in a short amount of time. And what was I was alluding to before, just with regard to uh, uh, regard to Dominic Recchia, was specifically with regard to you know, the DCCC and the candidate recruitment. It's so important. You can't just talk about generic Republican, generic Democrat, generic polls. Races are made up of individuals, of people who are – actually out there every day, as Adam just said, pounding the pavement, knocking on doors, making a personal appeal, 
please vote for me. And that's a lot of times, particularly in low turnout elections, like uh, like the midterms, which are going to be less than the presidential year, are uh, we will have that's exactly you know what that uh, what the appeal, the personal appeal, is going to become so important. And a lot of times, you got to go ahead and find that type of person in order to do it. Uh, so we are going to right now open up the phone lines, 212-529-4620 is that number, taking your questions on all kinds of elections. But first of all, as I mentioned before, and I want to discuss the 4th Congressional District here in also on Long Island, Larry Gordon, the editor and publisher of the Five Towns Jewish Times, is on with us. And he's going to talk very brief, briefly about a couple of questions about that race, uh, which is Blakeman and Kathleen Rice, Kathleen Rice being the Nassau County District Attorney running to succeed Carolyn McCarthy. And Larry had an interesting story with Kathleen Rice this week. Larry, thanks for joining us here. Yes, Michael. Hi. Uh, good evening. Uh, I guess you want to know the story. Uh, unless you uh, Of course. I think they have, people out there want to know the story. They want to know what's going on and whether, uh, you know, generally you don't have uh, a candidate for office, or at least for significant office, a polished candidate at that, getting mm-hmm. into a uh, tussle with a reporter? Well, I don't know if you call it a tussle. Uh, you know, we just uh, came across uh, Ron of the New York Observer of the New York Observer last week, last Thursday, a week ago, came across a story uh, that had uh, the uh, Ms. Rice uh, appearing as a keynote speaker in an event for the Islamic uh, Center of Long Island in Westbury, along with a uh, an Iman, Iman Wahij, who... Uh, if you just do a little Google search, you find that, in, amongst other things, he was an unindicted co-conspirator of the uh, First World Trade Center bombing in 1993. He was a character witness for uh, Sheikh uh, Omar Abdul Ahman, who was a mastermind of that bombing and uh, was uh, also uh, convicted uh, of the involvement in the bombing and is serving a life sentence. So, obviously, you can deduce very quickly that he wasn't a person of sterling character, especially in this day and age when there's such an international uh, fear of uh, terror attacks, uh, it seems very odd that a uh, woman of uh, Ms. Rice's uh, statue would put herself on, on a dais or uh, in, a, in a forum to uh, lend legitimacy to a, a, a character, a character uh, like that. Um, anyway, she got wind of it. We, we got the story from the, the New York Observer sent to us last Friday. We posted it online and on our Facebook page. Uh, it got uh, tweeted out by the um, the uh, the observer picked up by a lot of places. Um, Daily News uh, tweeted it out uh, eventually. Um, and uh, what happened next was uh, uh, over Shabbos last week, uh, Miss Rice uh, uh, withdrew uh, her name from the uh, from the program. Uh, and I got a, a, a text message from her campaign manager Saturday night. With a, with a shocking message to me. Uh, she says, uh, it said, uh, uh, to paraphrase what it said, you're carrying a, a, a false uh, libelous message uh, on your website. Libelous? Uh, she accused you of libel. Uh, she suggested that. I didn't say, I'm not going to say she accused me of it. I'm going to say she suggested, ah, <laughs> she I suggested okay. that it was libelous. I, I, like, hope, I, like I hope shocked. that was in her uh, candidate capacity as opposed to her DA capacity. Well, it wasn't directly from her. It was from her campaign manager. And then uh, I went to the, uh, the Jewish Community Council of the Iraqi Peninsula uh, breakfast on Sunday morning in Far Rockaway. And uh, I saw her sitting at a table, and uh, I don't know what got into me, but uh, there was an empty chair next to her, so I figured I would go continue the conversation. And I, I know what got scoop. into you. you. You were looking for a scoop. I went to, uh, I went to, uh, you're suggesting I was looking for a scoop. You're not accusing me of that, are you? So uh, I, uh, I went and I sat down next to her, and uh, I mean, she just uh, was livid, you know. She instantly accused me of publishing, uh, and spreading false stories about her. Now, um, you know, I know from, uh, uh, people that I've spoken, uh, uh, about this situation with that if one posts a story, uh, that is true, and uh, the subject of the story does something in a subsequent day or two to change something uh, uh, in, in the story, uh, that doesn't, uh, uh, which makes the story in need of an update, that doesn't make the original story libelous, exactly. Not exactly, Oops. not at all. 
It's so, exactly Larry, were you surprised by her behavior? Let's just assume that she's wrong about the libel law, and I'm not talking about her her legal expertise. Were you surprised that she would confront you uh, about the fact that you haven't taken something down? And you know why? You know, wouldn't she want to address the underlying issue here about the <laughs> fact that she her staff didn't do their homework? Well, you know, um, I, I would have thought she would have approached it that way. I think she owed the community an apology, probably for. Negligence. I, I wrote a piece this week where I say that no one's suggesting or trying to intimate that uh, Kathleen Rice, who's been an extraordinary district in Nassau County, no one's trying to suggest that she has any kind of complicity or soft spot or sensitivity or uh, uh, for anything to do with uh, with Islamic radicals or anything along those uh, landing along those lines. But a stupid mistake was made, and, and instead of attacking the messenger and trying to accuse him uh, or them uh, of, of libel and uh, spreading uh, false stories, just do the graceful thing and, 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 and say that uh, you made a mistake and you're sorry and you'll be more vigilant in the future. That so where the do right you see this race too. going? Uh, it's it's super, super close, according to a lot of people. Where do you see this race going? Well, you know, I think, there's a, yeah, I think, you, have a, I think you have a close race uh, between uh, Blakeman uh, and Rice, I think in part due to that episode, but I think there's an unknown variable in every race of this kind, and that is that uh, no one really knows the extent of the anti-Obama uh, uh, or the intensity and severity of the anti-Obama vote uh, nationwide. If it's going to be, it should be, uh, and it's anticipated to be, there's, there's a good chance that in this race, the Republicans certainly uh, uh, can prevail. Okay, Larry Gordon, editor and publisher of the Five Towns Jewish Times, uh, I guess uh, got into, I won't call it a tussle. We mixed it up a little bit with uh, with a Democratic congressional candidate Kathleen Rice this past week, and New York 4 is certainly one of those races that's going to be watched well, nationally the, the, uh, this is, and, uh, as well as locally. Michael, this is the anniversary of the uh, uh, Ali, uh, Ali uh, Foreman fight, uh, here, which was called the Rumble in the Jungle. Well, certainly it's not necessarily the closest race out there, but it's certainly amongst the closest race. And I think people are going to be watching that as a bellwether, yes. uh, certainly about anti-Obama uh, attitudes. Larry Gordon, thanks for joining us here on Swing Okay, Class. thank you. Be well. Okay, and we have on the line Avi Fertig, who is – okay, Avi is not on the line anymore. Let's move to oh. Dina. Dina, you're on, uh, you're on the line. I am on the line. Hi, oh, Avi Fertig is on the line. Okay, Valley. so let's just hold on for a second. Avi, I apologize for that. Uh, Avi Fertig, uh, the Republican candidate for assembly in the 20th Assembly District, running in a similar, uh, I guess, in the s- same area as both Larry Gordon, me, as well as uh, as well as uh, Kathleen Rice and Bruce Blakeman. So, Avi, how's it going out there on the campaign trail? It's going very nicely, very, very nicely. Every uh, every part of the strategy that we've been putting together over the last number of months is falling into place, and it's very, very nice to see people who are supporting me who are nervous for some time thinking, is everything okay, Avi? It doesn't seem to be going the way we would have imagined it. It's nice to see them coming around and realizing that things that we were planning all along really were substantial and they really are coming together. Okay, and what is... uh... What do you see as being your preferred turnout? Where are you seeing people, the most enthusiasm? What are you seeing as far as, you know, what are the big issues that uh, are really resonating with voters? Well, first I'll, I'll answer the first question first. Um, well, I, I would say that the, 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 the most enthusiasm, and that's because the people who live in this area are most connected to the process, and when you the, say uh, this area, you're talking about the five towns, you're talking about Long Beach, you're talking about Island Park. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I'm saying, which, which is you, your, the area you're talking about? Oh, well, I, I would say East Rockaway, Island Park, Bay Park. Um, these are areas that my, my, well, my, my campaign manager, Tony Santino, is, he's, you know, that's where he lives and that's where he operates all of his political, uh, all of his political, uh, base. And, uh, I mean, it's just every time I'm in those areas, it's just like heroes welcome for me and some of the other Republican candidates. It's very gratifying, and it really brings on a lot of confidence. 
And I, I of course, have a tremendous amount of encouragement in the, in the five towns. As a matter of fact, I coined this term, the, I'm concerned about grandma syndrome, and grandma syndrome is when you, your grandmother loves you and knows that you're just the most perfect person, unconditional love, and, you know, they think, well, who wouldn't love my grandson? Of course everybody's going to vote for my grandson. And my concern is that people might just think, Avi's got it in the bag, I'm just not going to bother coming out. But i got to tell you, this is a close race. My opponent is a, he's a real opponent. And although I seem to be, I seem to be neck and neck with a little bit of an edge, possibly only because of my East Rockaway, Island Park, Bay Park um, contingent, I, I still I just need to urge everybody who supports me to come out and actually vote. And we'll say that again, people, Tuesday is election day, it's very important, come out and vote, doesn't matter who you vote for, if you don't vote, you don't count, all you do is make the other person's vote that much more valuable. Avi Ferdig, Republican candidate for the 20th Assembly District, thanks for joining us here, and uh, let's move on to Dina, Dina has been waiting, I apologize Dina, you've been waiting for a couple minutes. What's your favorite race out there, comment, what are you looking at? Hi, um, well, I mean, this is very crucial time. Um, I actually worked for Congressman Rangel, who uh, is Rangel a Democrat. Was, uh, in the news tonight. Just... He actually just, uh, at a rally for Andrew Cuomo, said some Republicans don't believe that slavery has ended. I'm not sure exactly what it was uh, that caused him to say that, but uh, interesting comments from Charlie Rangel. <laughs> yes, Charlie Rangel, um, yeah, it's his last race, and it's just exciting for us. Um we are very sure he's going to win. Um, he doesn't really have known candidates running against him, and he has won the last 44 years. So, but it's definitely a concern. Um, the other Democratic races across the country and in New York. Right. Okay. So, anything specifically out there? Any surprises you're expecting? Who you, who's going to take the Senate? House, what do you think? Um, I mean, it's, I guess everyone is assuming that the Republicans are going to take both the House and the Senate. Um, obviously that's disappointing, but that happens sometimes. Uh, but you know, things will work out as they should. Um, yeah. Okay, fantastic, Dina. Thanks for, thanks for that update. I appreciate it. And, and please uh, call again in the future. We have Avery on the line. Avery, uh, welcome uh, to SPIN yes. class. What's your question? Uh, good to be on, Michael. Thank you. Um, I, I saw that last night Governor Cuomo in Brooklyn gave a very heartfelt uh, endorsement of the uh, education tuition tax credits. And I know yes. that uh, yes, in a recent I, I debate that. in Long Beach, the guy who was running against uh, Avi Ferdig, Todd Kaminsky, actually came out against them which I found to be interesting on many levels, the major one being that his uh, Sherpa in the Five Towns, uh, Assemblyman Goldfeder, is actually one of the leading proponents of the tax credit in the last several assembly sessions. He has a lot of friends working through outside organizations who are so pushing it, and I really wonder the impact that's going to have on a rather unknown quantity in the Five Towns. Okay, interesting question. So let me just get this question correct. Uh, you're saying because Governor Cuomo came out strongly for the education tax credit last night, how will that affect the race here in the five towns? Because the Democrat seems to be on record against the education tax credit. Exactly. Yes. OK. I, well, look, I think the one thing about, you know, it, it's real. It, from my perspective, it's very gratifying that the governor came out for the education tax credit. He was in, I guess, on record as having favored it in the past, although when it came to crunch time in the budget, and we've talked about it here on the show, he did not see it through. He did not push for it, did not fight for it, and it didn't happen. Uh, in fact, I think he made a promise. Uh, it, it was said, and it was reported, and it was stated by Cardinal Dolan, uh, the Archbishop of New York, that Cuomo made a promise to him to get the education tax credit passed, and it actually didn't happen. So that was, uh, I guess we'll just say, uh, we'll chalk that up to another promises made, promises not kept. Uh, so here you have, I guess, on the same ticket, running with Governor Cuomo, a local assemblyman who, or assemblyman hopeful, who wants to, who has been 
uh, saying that he is not for the education tax credit, although so many of his allies are. Uh, it's kind of interesting. How will that play out? I, the, you know, in this 20th assembly district, the Orthodox community is not enough, or I think the private school community is not enough to put an individual assembly member over the top unless they vote in extraordinarily high numbers and the rest of the district votes in much smaller numbers. Uh, I don't know that that's going to be the determinative issue. But as far as enthusiasm is concerned, that could galvanize a certain segment of voters to go ahead and fight for that. On the other hand, there are voters for whom any help and any assistance for private schools is kind of anathema and they might not want that uh they might not want that education tax credit to pass so you have a you have a little bit on both sides uh i didn't get the comment exactly with regard to assemblyman goldfeder though uh i you 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 said something about him but, he's a, uh, the sherpa who's lead helping him oh, leading sherpa. him around oh uh, okay that's an interesting metaphor there uh the the i guess you know sherpa you know the sherpas have a have a great tradition of being of carrying uh, the water for other people, and mm-hmm. I guess that's what you're referring to. So that's actually yes. an excellent metaphor. You know, do you mind if I use that in the future? Help yourself. Okay, fantastic. So I don't know who's going to win that race. Avi was just on; he's working hard. I know Ty, I've had Todd Kaminsky on the show. I think Todd Kaminsky is a very talented, uh, very talented politician, and you know, we'll certainly have to see what's going to happen as the, far as the, that's the other thing is, though, I, I recall him coming, if not outright supporting it, coming very close to supporting it in the past. So, I don't know. Yes, it's, you so know, you're, you're getting some heat from uh, and he, parts of the district to renounce that past support. I don't know. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out on Election Day. Yeah, so so you bring up an interesting point, and I will say that uh, that I did have him on the show. It did indicate that he was going to be supportive of that should he get into the Assembly. Uh, I guess sometimes uh, they, politicians, are you know, change their mind as they go along. So we'll ha- maybe we can chalk it up to that. I don't know. Uh, uh, but, uh, but that's really w- kind of where we're going to leave that issue as far as that. But I was on record uh, in, on a blog today as far as uh, saying that I thought perhaps that Todd Kaminsky is giving one message to one uh, when he speaks to one community, another message when he goes to another. The one thing I particularly didn't like is the fact that he called the tax credit a voucher. If you yeah. want to oppose tax credits, that's fine. I think there's there are legitimate reasons to not want uh, tax credits. I, I don't favor that, but don't call it a voucher because it's not. Uh, and that's a you know that's a legal term. So I think uh, I, I think I you know I really was upset about the fact that he called it that. And I think you're right. But will this put Avi Furtick over the top? It's hard to say. Will this deep? Uh, will this you know? depressed support for Todd Kaminsky, it's really hard to say. That's going to be one of those close races. In fact, that might be one of the few toss-up races in the New York State Assembly, uh, if you want to call it you know, one that is not a foregone conclusion. Usually, may, many of these assembly races, because the registration is so lopsided, are foregone conclusions. So, Avery, thank you for the call, and uh, thanks for joining us here. I want to get back for a second to uh, the uh, I want to get back for the, to the New York State Senate. New York State Senate is battle for control. Why does that matter? Well, it's, you know, if you have in the, in New York, all through, all, one party controlling the governor, the assembly, and the state senate, it is a very, very significant, uh, very, very significant for all policy and for anything having to do with, uh, you know, education, taxes, uh, real estate, uh, energy, I mean, all issues across the board, and typically, as I said beforehand, and Adam Haber acknowledges that the Democratic conference has been very left-leaning. So when the New York State Senate is up for grabs, that has very significant uh, uh, very significant ramifications uh, for it. Now, the current landscape has that interesting uh, parliamentary type of uh, 28 Republicans, uh, two open seats that were Republicans, one Democrat caucusing with Republicans, Simcha Felder. Uh, five from the IDC, Independent Democratic Conference, two non-aligned Democrats because they've been kicked out of the caucuses because they're under indictment, one open seat, uh, former Democrat, that's for Eric Adams, the Brooklyn Borough President, and then 24 regular uh, Democrats. If the election were kind of held today, what does the landscape look like? Well, you got uh, most people say, and I'll just give you you know, this, 21 safe Republicans, three likely Republicans, five lean Republicans, five toss-ups, zero uh, leaning Democrat, two likely Democrat, 27 solid Democrats. And uh, that has actually changed. They actually have a number of those competitive seats have now kind of pulled out of the toss-up 
category. And we're going to get to those right after we have a caller online one, Steven. Steve, uh, you're on spin class. What's your question? Hello? Hi, Steve. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Um, I want to ask you about uh, something I read recently about um, lobbying and attorneys general. And I wanted to get your your view on, I, I understand that the Republican Party had put together, um, I guess, fundraising mechanisms for attorneys general, and now uh, corporate lobbyists are also trying to lobby attorneys general who are supposed to represent the people. What is your opinion about mixing money and and the politics of attorneys general? Well, I guess the question is kind of specifically with regard to attorney general, but there's a larger question, of course, of money and politics. And I think money and politics is, uh, you know, is an issue. We talk about it and we, you know, but there is an issue really of legally without solution right now in, in the United States. Uh, the Supreme Court has decided that political money is an extension of free speech and therefore, uh, you have to go ahead and allow people to give as much money as they want in various forms. Now you can limit contributions, uh, but you, but outside money that's not coordinated with the candidate can be used. Uh, as far as, you know, from, so from my perspective, I think, and I, I think it's a big issue. I think disclosure is the biggest issue. I think sunlight really, uh, offers a tremendous amount of uh, uh, a, a tremendous amount of disinfectants for the political process, but we don't have enough disclosure, particularly in New York state. Now we have this huge contribution limits and a lot of states have this, and this is actually a case with attorneys general around that we have, you can give up to $50,000 uh, per candidate, some cases a hundred thousand dollars per candidate. And we only force you to disclose that twice a year in a non election time. That's crazy. You should, if you give that, if you give any donation, we should have to disclose that monthly or if not sooner, particularly if you're in a legal situation. So I think, I agree with you that it's an issue. I saw that article and I think that, you know, money is going to find a way into politics no matter what happens. But if you force disclosure and you force candidates and else and others out there to go ahead and show the public where they're getting their money from and then the public is aware that there might be conflicts of interest and the like uh i think that that is a that i think that's the right solution as far as you know just tricking money in one place it's just going to go in a different pocket so thank you for that question You're uh, You're uh, okay you had a you had a follow-up yeah just the one a follow-up because it's, it's hard to view aside from the money and politics question in general but the enforcement priorities of the legal officers, how that could be subject to politics is, is just so, strikes me as being so unethical that I, I would think some of the, um, of the lawmakers should get up and say, hey, you know, there, there may be laws that, that can be influenced one way or another, but an enforcement priority when we give so much discretion to the attorneys general, how they should even be allowed to raise any money, notwithstanding the fact that they may be able to raise money uh, that other political figures raise money. I just found well, I, I share your concern. I think I, I agree with you. It's a it's a really big issue, and uh, you know that's. But it's it's. I think you know as I said, you can always if you don't give to a candidate, you can always set up a separate committee to to work alongside that candidate. And unfortunately, our system uh, is really is set up to allow a lot of donations. And the truth is, it's on both sides. It's not that there is any there's actually more independent spending right now. I know we always think it's the Republicans. There's more independent spending on the Democratic side right now uh, than there on the uh, between unions and other Democratic affinity groups than there are on the Republican side. So thank you very much for the question. I want to move to Judith from Clifton on uh, line four. Hi, how are you? I'm well. You so What's your question? Thank you so much for taking my call. Actually, I don't have a question, but I just wanted a brief moment to share with your audience uh, why I became a Cory Booker fan. Um, I had a uh, Cory Booker, the, the the most prominent Jew in the uh, U.S. Senate. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's the way I feel. Um, he spoke at uh, the Frisch School about a year and a half ago, and he uh, told about his Jewish communal life, uh, his involvement with Jewish communal life. I believe it started at Oxford. Yale Law School, 
and um, and he gave the great Torah and uh, just a super nice and sincere, funny guy. And then I got to his rally in Garfield um, for this election, and he spoke about how he's uh, very, very willing um, and able to uh, cross cross the lines and work with um, any Republican uh, politician just to get things done. And I just thought that was, uh, you know, good for all the people. So um, hopeful that uh, people will give them uh, consideration and uh, hopefully we'll get confirmation of this tomorrow on uh, Jim and the AM. Okay. Well, fantastic. Thank you very much, Judith, for that. And, yes, Cory Booker, I think what really – uh, most people out there do not consider that to be a particularly competitive race, although there was one poll that actually said that Cory was on, Booker was only ahead 51-40, but that is uh, pretty much looking right now like a walkaway race for Cory Booker, kind of like his initial uh, race for Senate that special election. And we have on the line uh, two of our most prominent uh, commentators that we have on together, Jacob Kornblue and Ryan Carbon. Uh, so we're going to go right into it. Running out of time. Rummy, an hour is just not enough. To do this kind of show. Jacob, Ryan, welcome back to Spin Class. Always a pleasure to be on your show, Michael. Thank you. So I'm going to give very, very quickly one issue for each of you. Jacob Cornblue, we have, uh, we have, uh, we have the Dove Hiken Nachman Collar race, which seemed to be the most interesting because this is the one race that I can think of in the entire, uh, United States that's hinging on the endorsements of major rabbis. Actually, this has been already in uh, the Jewish Orthodox Jewish community. I'm talking about um, endorsement of rabbis uh, speak volumes. Uh, the question that does it produce votes? And the answer is look at uh, previous elections where candidates that were running that were seen as long shots and did not receive the endorsement of all the rabbis won. However, for the first time, I think in 32 years, because I haven't been covering too many elections in Barapak, this election is competitive because the rabbis themselves are split. On one hand, you have uh, 32-year incumbents who had to a certain point held yeshiva and have served as a voice for the community in Albany for so many years. On the other hand, you have a uh, candidate uh, by Kala, who is respected uh, in the Torah world. He's respected by rabbis. They know his fight on casinos. They have known him for years for his uh, uh, fighting on certain issues, for him being a machabist for him. So it's actually a dilemma for rabbis between voting, uh, uh, supporting a long-shot candidate because they have a relationship with him or voting for an incumbent assembly member and by this maybe drawing some in the community to revolt against them and actually vote uh, for the Republican candidate despite their pledge to vote for Mr. Heiken. So it's very interesting to watch this, how this will play out. So this is a referendum, if you will, on Dove Heiken. That's what, uh, that's what you're, you're basically talking There's about. There's no question about it, and I think both of the candidates have made it a referendum. If it's Nachman Carla who has to run as a protest candidate and has to make people angry in order for them to vote against Dov Heikin. And for Dov Heikin, it's also relevant because this is the first time he's been challenged in three decades and he is basically running on his record, on his constituent service, or if it's by co-sponsoring certain bills that he claims he introduced and brought to the floor. Um, the only thing he is promising at this point it's something that the governor and other legislators have already pledged to pass, and that's the education tax credit. So it's actually not such a uh, 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 impossible promise. But there's no question that this election in Borough Park is a referendum on sentiment uh, of hiking. Okay, well, we've always seen uh, Dove Heiken being able to extract promises from politicians in the past and being able to uh, to turn those into dollars for the district. So we'll see if that happens this time yet again. Jacob, thanks for uh, telling us one of the most closely watched assembly races out there, particularly one with uh, for the Jewish community. And I uh, hope to have you again, uh, in, you know, as we analyze the election next week. Uh, Ryan, uh, also another. 
race that could hinge on rabbis, uh, from what you're looking at is you were kind of talking about a potential upset lower in the Hudson Valley than Sean Patrick Maloney and Nan Hayworth. And that was in the form of Nita Lowy against Chris Day. Nita Lowy, Nita Lowy is in the tough end. First of all, thank you, Michael, for having me on. I, I know we're pressed for time. Very, unfortunately. I can't, you know, a full hour career. is not enough for, uh, for politics. I'm sorry? A full hour is not enough for politics. Yeah, it never is. Um, but Nita Lowy is in the toughest fight of her career since 1988. Um, this is a epic battle. You have the son of the Rockland County Executive, Chris Day, who is a, uh, Army vet, bronze, uh, star winner, um, went to Yale and Columbia going up against Nita Lowy, one of the powerhouse Democratic women in America. Um, but she is on the ropes. It is, the race has tightened considerably. Uh, Astorino is consolidating that suburban anger. A day has successfully exploited Lowy's weaknesses. Rockland County is not a place where Lowy has really put down any roots. She's a very wealthy woman from Westchester. Rockland voters are very, very middle class. Used to guys like Elliot Engel, Ben Gilman, um, very down to earth people. Um, there's a bit of a culture gap with Nita Lowy. There are a lot of local issues where people feel she hasn't necessarily been as attentive as she might have been. Um, and it's, it's for all those reasons, whether people believe those things justifiably or not, this is a race. It is a race to watch. Lowy is spending hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Her opponent uh, in this tightening race last month spent $10,000. We now find out that Lowy, who is a former chair of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, the Post reported yesterday that she's failed to deliver on a $120,000 pledge for other candidates. So I wrote about this on my blog at Carbon Copy and go to the website, ryancarbon.com. I don't know if Chris Day is going to take Nita Lowy out. The very fact that he might be able to and that people are taking this candidacy seriously speaks to the weakness of the incumbent specifically and also to what is going on across this country. Voters are angry at Obama. They're angry at the Democrats. I'm a Democrat. It's a bad climate for Democrats, and we need to be honest with ourselves about it. Um, unless uh, there's a kind of change in the conversation, uh, and Democrats become to get very, very nervous about the prospect of this Republican wave, it is going to be a very unpleasant Tuesday. Well, let's just stop. Let me just ask you for a second, because the perception is that the the statewide Democrats are going to sweep. That's the perception. I'm not so you know, it's hard to know exactly what's going to happen. But doesn't that prevent that that Republican wave in New York when deep, deep blue New York? I mean, how can an incumbent, a longtime incumbent like Nita Lowy be vulnerable in New York? Because you've seen a 21 point swing towards Rob Astorino in the suburbs in the course of the past five weeks. You've seen the suburbs going from a place where um, people met positive belief, things were going okay, to where now 69% say the country is going in the wrong direction. It is a angry electorate. Now, you go to New York City, across the bridge, at uh, 20 points, people think everything is fine. Wow. People in the suburbs have a worse attitude than folks in economically depressed upstate New York, more pessimistic, angrier voters. The suburbs right. went in a totally different direction. Remember, liberal de Blasio won in New York City last year. Republicans won county executive, Nassau, Westchester, Rockland, Orange. There's a very different story that's playing out beyond the city's borders, and I think you're going to see it in these results. Cuomo still wins because he'll be able to get enough additional votes upstate that he didn't get last time to make up for what he's going to lose in the suburbs. Westchester County is very competitive between Astorino and Cuomo. Cuomo got 66% of the vote in Westchester County four years ago. Wow. Now, okay. So Ryan now, Carbon, now that again. county is a dead heat. So thank you again for that uh, for that analysis. Kind of race that certainly I would not be watching had you had you not pointed that out. And you know, folks, I I thought full hour I could round up a lot of different races. Uh, clearly, we're not going to even get to the United States Senate. Let's just say right now, as it looks, uh, Republicans will take the United States. Senate. I'm talking about just polling in the various battleground states. Uh, you have Republicans up in even Scott Brown up in New Hampshire, who has been thought of as no way he's coming from was a senator of Massachusetts. Again, New Hampshire gets a formerly former governor, current senator, Gene Shaheen, popular. And there was this thought there's no way that Scott Brown could possibly win the seat. Well, he's up right now 
in the polls. So it's pretty incredible uh, as far as the wave. And you've seen that a number of Republicans just seem to be surging. Uh, that can change. There's a lot of time between now and Election Day. But right now, what you should say to yourself is, what am I doing on Tuesday? I got to make sure that I voted. Unless you live in Colorado, Colorado, many people have already voted. 900,000 as of yesterday have already voted. 295,000 registered Democrats, 379,000 registered Republicans, 222,000 unaffiliated, but that should give you an indication about who's voting, who's motivated, and that spells, uh, that, that augurs well for a takeover, uh, by the Republicans of the Senate that Mark Udall, current state, sitting state senator, will be unseated by Cory Gardner. So we will see come next week and next Thursday. Join us again on Spin Class as we take all that, everything that happened, and analyze it for you here on the Nachum Siegel Network.